You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. But when you think about kangaroos that live in trees, this is the species. And I remember the ones at John's Zoo. I remember my students back in the day doing research with one of those babies. What can they teach us? The, the Matches tree kangaroo is actually the best vertical climber and has more strength for doing this than a lot of the other species of tree kangaroos. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to Our Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And this is this is a one tree kangaroos. You've been you've been uh, for a few years, honestly. It's been a species on your target that for some reason we never got to it till 2024 for some reason. <laughs> I know, but I'm so excited today to talk about another marsupial, right? In the family Macropodiae, which means Bigfoot. So yes, I have not worked with tree kangaroos. But I'm very inspired, and we'll have hopefully some good social media footage this week or in the next few weeks to come, because they have the Machis tree kangaroo at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, where my handsome husband works. And so I see them, I mean, a couple times a month when I'm taking the boys after school. We just go there. They have their female. Her name is Adelaide. She has had uh, several joeys that uh, stay with her for a long time, and we'll talk all about that when we get to the reproduction section. But seeing a tree kangaroo, Joey, its head out of the mom's pouch is one of the most wonderful sights there is. I, I sent you that picture, right, before we started mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. One that that famous photographer, Joel Sartori, took. Um, uh, it, yeah, it, they're just so cool. They're such a cool species. And, of course, marsupials are near and dear to my heart. When I was a zookeeper, I got to work with possums from North, the only North American marsupial. And when I was at the zoo, I also worked with red kangaroos. So that was super fun. I learned a lot working with them um, as a zookeeper. And of course, today we're going to talk all about the difference between regular kangaroos from Australia, ground dwelling, big, strong. uh, And the tree kangaroo is very different. Very, very, very different. Closely related, more or less, on the taxonomical tree of life. But yeah, different. And they hang out in trees and they're they're from Papua New Guinea, which, oh, mm-hmm, I have like two mm-hmm. slides on Papua New Guinea itself just because, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, it's on my bucket list. Uh, I think you're going eventually, right? We are planning on possibly going in June, so I will keep you uh, informed. It was uh, an area on earth I've always wanted to go, but uh, I know in a podcast, previous podcast, we talked about the dangers of going to New Guinea. And so talking to Jesse... If you really want to do birding, he said, go to the Indonesian side of New Guinea. But I'm going to be doing some of the islands off New Guinea later in the year. So I'm very excited because it's all in my back door. And it, it's, you know, the tree kangaroo, they are found in Australia, too, in North Queensland. And I was just in Queensland uh, a few weeks back, not that far north because it's such a massive territory. I mean, territory. Australia is massive. It's just massive and, and loved every minute there. Uh, love the people, love the food, love the weather. And I didn't get that far north. Uh, you know, 
north of Cairns and, and above there. But I, I definitely want to get up to that part of Australia eventually. But when you think about kangaroos that live in trees, this is the species. And I remember the ones at John's Zoo. I remember my students back in the day doing research with one of those babies. And they were looking at affiliative behavior, you know, maternal behavior. They were studying that with just a class project. So, you know, those, those, those animals are very near and dear to my heart. And then the other important thing, Angie, is, is their conservation story. These are all, almost all the species are endangered. Some are data deficient. We just don't know because they are in New Guinea and Papua New Guinea. There's places you don't want to go. But the species we do know, you know, critically endangered, endangered, this is a species that could go extinct. You know, there's 14 of them. A lot of them could go extinct. We could lose these animals. They're that close to the brink. So it's important that we understand them. Where do they live? You know, what's their habits? All of that. And what we can do to protect them. Yeah. I mean, the Matchies uh, tree kangaroo, which is what they have at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, that species, there's only t- about 2,500 individuals left in the wild. And as you mentioned, that's a, a rough f- estimate. And so the IUCN labels them as endangered. And that's why several zoos in North America are participating in the Species Survival Plan, the SSPs, and keeping those numbers of Matchies tree kangaroos going, uh, living under human care. And we'll talk about more of that, too, throughout the podcast, because there is a lot of awesome work that zoos are doing to make people more tree kangaroo aware because probably several people listening to this podcast had no idea that there was such a species as a tree kangaroo. They're just, they're, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they're really, really a cool species. So I hope you stick around today to learn all these fun facts. It's going to be a good pod. It's it's interesting you bring that up too. When you look at the, the 14 species, there's a species that 13, 14, one that, that kind of straddles the line, they think of being a tree kangaroo. But when you look at their status, I've got near threatened, vulnerable, near threatened, vulnerable. Only two of the 14 where we have data on them are they least concerned, meaning there's a healthy population there. Uh, but the one you mentioned, endangered, critically endangered, endangered, then data deficient, data deficient. So I'll go through the list. And yeah, and these are species, not even subspecies, like mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. colors, different traits. So yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's important that we keep our eye on them. Well, and the Wandaway is, is the one that's the most endangered. They think maybe 50 left in the wild. They think it might be extinct. So we'll talk about that today. Before we get going real quick, shout out to Abigail, Montana State. She reached out. I did a, a personal interview with her. She's actually from back in my hometown in California. But I just want to say, keep at it, Abigail. She wants to work in conservation. It was, you know, things that we talk about in the podcast, but also what we ask our interviews, our interviewees, you know, that we we sit and talk with all these conservation experts. Where did you get started? So for the young budding conservationists listening to this podcast, Go back and look at some of these scientists we talked to. One of the first questions we ask is, give us your background. How did you get to where you're at? You know, when you go with a Chris Fisher who is out there tagging great white sharks and, you know, is on Animal Planet or Shark Week or all these shows that, that he's out there doing, to somebody like Sonarto, who we always talk about, who's going looking for tigers in Indonesia. So, you know, listen to their stories and it, should give you some inspiration. I mean, we, we've done 100, 150 interviews in this podcast. 
I know it's a, it's a really healthy list and you can go and, and listen to them, tell their stories and hopefully it gives you some inspiration. And then I just also want to say thank you to our Patreon subscribers. We will be sending money out after I learn which organization Angie picks today uh, to support Tree Ruse. Yes. And I want to give a big shout out to Wint Cat Boo, who gave us a glowing review on iTunes, uh, mentioning that they love listening to our podcast while they walk their dog uh, and their baby. So congratulations on that. I'm a huge fan of listening to podcasts too. When I walk with the dog, I should say dogs, we have uh, a foster fail that uh, we're adding to our house. So uh, stay tuned for those details coming soon on social media. But at any rate, thank you for listening and thank you for reviewing Went Cat Boo. Uh, and if you do like our podcast, if you want to go ahead and show your support by subscribing uh, and reviewing us on iTunes, giving us five stars, that would be awesome. We don't have any for the month of February yet. So you could be the first and I'll give you a shout out and we really appreciate it. No, we do. We do. Thank you so much. And, you know, we talk about tree kangaroos, Angie. I, I, 14 species. Actually, I forgot to mention this too. In 1990, they discovered a new species of tree kangaroo, the golden mantled tree kangaroo in Papua New Guinea. So thinking of discovering new species, that's a, that's a pretty big mammal. Yes. But again, it, it tells you how remote Papua New Guinea is in the mountains and what species might still be up there that we haven't found yet. That could be a larger mammal like a tree kangaroo. Uh, but leading into that, which one did you want to describe? And then I'll kind of go through the list and talk about how some of they are, how some of them are a little bit different. Sure. Well, of course, I'm going to pick the Matchies tree kangaroo. It's also known as a Huan tree kangaroo. This is because it's native to the Huan Peninsula in northeastern New Guinea uh, within the nation of Papua New Guinea. So the Machis is stunning. It's a beautiful kangaroo. Its colors are just impeccable. And so it has to be noted that the Machis tree kangaroo, and I think several of the species, they have this really dense, thick, wool-like fur, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. considering Papua New Guinea is, is tropical, is interesting. We'll talk more about that when we get into uh, adaptations of the tree kangaroo throughout the millennia. But yeah, they have this dense, thick fur, and it can vary in coloration, but in general, it's from reddish brown to dark brown all over their whole body. But they do have some beautiful counter shading on their arms, uh, their chest, belly, and then their hind feet and tail. And that's going to be a light golden color, almost yellow. It can be anywhere from like yellow to tan, uh, sometimes even creamy white. Uh, but it's just beautiful because it makes their arms and legs different color. And then their tail really stands out. And when you zoom into the face of the Machis tree kangaroo as well, their faces are like a cross between a, a, a regular kangaroo, but then also... They have a more like maybe like a bear. They have like a, a snout, a longer snout than a typical kangaroo. And they and it ends in a boop of a pink nose, which is just it's a very boopable uh, nose. In fact, that it's it's bigger and it's also their face is the dark brown, reddish brown color. 
but they also have some of that yellow cream tan color around their eyes and muzzles. It really just makes their muzzle pop. Uh, they have darling teddy bear like ears. So the smaller ears, uh, large claws, which we'll talk a lot about uh, when uh, for tree climbing, for clasping and going up and down the trees. And then their tail is very long and uh, and they do use it a lot to help give the balance. And once again, we'll talk more about that. So they're just, oh, their fuzzy little yellow feet are, I mean, I'm just, I have like 16 pictures. Or then I took some of like the Joey and the mama's pouch. And of course they have a pouch. They're a marsupial. We'll talk a lot about that in re- reproduction. Uh, the females have that in their, um, like in their a lower abdomen region, which really isn't obvious from a photo unless once again, there's a Joey present inside it. Well, and the thing that gets you tree kangaroos, these are, I would say wallaby size. Cause I think so. We, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did the red kangaroo. We haven't done the grays yet, or we haven't really covered a wallaby, you know, smaller, you're thinking 20 to 30 pounds or upwards of 14 kilograms body lengths up to the larger ones, 75 centimeters, 30 inches. So not, you know, two, two and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. And then their tails, uh, you know, another two feet, almost three feet up to 30 inches or 75 centimeters. So if you think of kangaroos, when I think of kangaroos, I always think of the reds because they're the big boys and girls. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are like stacked. You see all the photos and <laughs> they're, you know, hopping around. They're they're massive. And then when you think of wallabies, you think of smaller, small kangaroos. That's kind of what the, the tree root size when you go through the 14 different species. Now, they do range in New Guinea, which we've been talking about. So there is Papua New Guinea, and then there's the Indonesian side of New Guinea. So if you look at the island or surrounding islands, that's where I hope to go in a few months. The eastern half is Papua New Guinea. The western half is part of Indonesia, New Guinea. So the tree roos are all over Indonesia. And then just in the north tip of queensland in the danger i know that that's awesome yeah and the two species that are in australia is the lumholtz tree kangaroo and then the bennett's tree kangaroo so they're they're near cairns which i've been to pip's been to beautiful part of australia i really want to get back up there the daintree rainforest uh, that i saw this many years ago when i first went to australia when i was still living in the states uh, beautiful part of the the country i I was just before we got started. I'm I'm trying to convince Angie to come over to this part of the world. <laughs> she wants to go to Africa. Uh, I'm trying to get her to Australia, I, New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, you're giving a simple summary. I want to do both. Uh, in a pinch, <laughs> if I had to pick which one. Oh, but you were coming with Some, me, so that it wasn't yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, just go to Africa with your family. Yeah. And but it was either where should we all go with our families. And if we had to pick, should it be Australia or Africa? So maybe we'll just put a poll on yeah. on social media. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I, I am very excited to get to Australia. It's to, uh, Asia in general is on my bucket list. So I just found my heart in Africa. I just feel like I belong there. I know. There. I know. I, was, I know. Just the other day, I was Well, we'll do both. We'll about- do both. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do an all creatures trip. It's, we're going to plan it in the works. I, I know our, we just were talking about our friend Corbin Maxey's going to Africa mm-hmm. with with followers of him. And, and I think Angie and I would love to like plan a trip with some of our 
listeners and, and end up in both. So maybe we'll, we'll manifest that. We'll put it out to the universe and get the ball rolling on thinking about it. And then we can start planning it. And then in 10 years when our kids are older, no, we go sooner than that. But it's just something to, to think about because Angie, you would love the Daintree. You would just, I want to go see Cassowary, but that's way up. We probably have to go to Darwin for that. But, you know, but then there's things in Australia I don't want to see. You know, I'd like to see, you know, like the behind glass, some of the the snakes there and stuff. But <laughs> well, yeah. and I'd love, I, well, of course, I would, I would love to um, uh, snorkel or dive the uh, yeah. Free Barrier Reef. Barrier so Reef. that, yeah, yeah. that's, would be life changing. Exactly. So, right. so right, many we things manifest to do. It. Uh, yes, we have to manifest all of that. And, but I, I, I don't know why the other day I just was really like thinking hard about the uh the rhino orphanage and i was thinking you know i should uh, it'd be a good trip to uh, bring my kids there uh for mm-hmm. uh, like a volunteering vacation mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. to help show them a different country you could sell me on that if there's the elephant orphanage nearby or they have some baby elephants uh, there, there are there uh yeah. i i need to get some of those people on the podcast um i don't know if they're nearby but we could do both and yeah, yeah i just i think it'd be great to show my kids obviously all, you know the, the culture of Africa, different you know the different countries, and then of course wild, wildlife in the wild, and how we need to help support them and save them. So, uh, and then also then I would get to feed baby baby rhinos. Well, I'm <laughs> so a little self serving. Our Australia fans, I'll get her over. I love Aussie. Yeah. I love Brisbane. I'm going, you know, Sydney soon, and uh, but it's just in my back door. Uh, well, yeah. you could probably talk me into like a wildlife rehab in Australia as well. Like, like oh yeah, like, yeah. Lone Pine. I, we were going to go to Lone Pine. I was going to go to Lone Pine this last trip. I just couldn't fit it in. But there in Brisbane, where I just remember us doing the fires and the koalas, and I want to get down to I think it's Kangaroo Island and. Uh, you know, it's just Australia is awesome. It's just you guys are great. Love you over over the Tassie Sea. Uh, come see me in New Zealand. Okay, that's right. That's right. But you do have you, they do have two tree root species there. Two of the fourteen, and then the rest are in New Guinea. Well, why I care about tree root? So that's super easy for me to answer this week. Mm-hmm. First of all, I did not know that there was fourteen species, so that was really mind blowing. And then just like you said, thinking about the possibilities that there might be more, they just. They're so poorly studied because of how remote they live. So I just, I just, my whole goal of this podcast today and hopefully throughout this month of showing the tree kangaroo on social media and getting people talking about it is, A, they're a beautiful species, some really cool evolutionary adaptations that we'll talk about. But yeah, they're, they're just really a unique species. And as far as their ecosystem role goes, they are are herbivores and we'll talk a lot about that. They eat leaves and nuts and seeds and things they can get their hands on in the trees. But because of that, being a tree dweller, they play a huge role as a seed disperser in the jungles that they live in, right? So the other thing that's really important to mention with tree kangaroos is that they're an indicator species. So because they have a super specific habitat requirement, uh, as Chris mentioned, they live in different parts of New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, New Guinea, and then um, in Northern Australia. But wherever they live, because of living in the trees and the different plants and tree species that they eat, they live in this like mountainous, beautiful, jungle, tropical forest-like area. And so... The health of the tree kangaroo species 
is an indicator of the health of the overall ecosystem. And unfortunately, overall, uh, Chris can probably speak a little bit more about the all the species, but I know with the Matchies tree kangaroo, that population, even with all the people working to fight for them and working on saving them, it is still declining. So that's an indicator that a lot of plant and insect and mammals and birds and reptiles in that area probably aren't doing that great as well. And then when you think of Papua New Guinea, there's a lot of cultural significance of tree kangaroos. So the indigenous population of New Guinea and Papua New Guinea, uh, it's actually referred to as a boon gary. So working to protect the tree kangaroo is also preserving the cultural heritage of all the local communities in that area. And then I touched on this a little bit, but what really struck me, and Chris, I know you can nerd out about this, but being from this region, there's so much unique biodiversity. Mm-hmm. So the tree kangaroo is just one of several awesome, unique, found only there in the world species. And it's incredible. They can go up to like 11,000 feet and live happily and and live in trees and do what they do uh but they're they're not alone there's tons like i said as an indicator species there's so much other wildlife and plant species that are only found there in the world i mean it's just this amazing mega diversity area it's like in one article i was reading <laughs> described it as an ancient species engine for mm-hmm. really important, world-relevant wildlife and plant populations. And some of them we probably obviously haven't even classified yet. Yeah. So I, I just think it's a cool part of the world. Uh, uh, it's just a, a biodiverse hotspot, and, uh, and, we, and we need to save it. So Papua New Guinea it is. We'll be going there instead of Africa and Australia. <laughs> yes, that is. We don't even need. We don't even need the social media, uh, social media poll. I I just uh, sold myself yourself. I don't. John's uh, not yeah. listening, but I'll tell him about it later, and I think he'll yeah. agree. <laughs> yeah, so, it is. Yeah. It, it it is. I mean, it is Papua New Guinea, and the bird species there are just incredible. The forests, it, 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 they're so critical and. As this country or, or this, you know, the island plus Indonesia too, as these tropical forests are being mowed down for palm oil, because that's one of the drivers of these tree kangaroos going to extinction, they're just so important. So it just gets me thinking because, you know, last week we were talking about, or the, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about me traveling and I'm, I'm carbon credits, that's kind of a boondoggle. I don't know how. Those are really helping the world, but donating to organizations that are, you know, building more sustainable ovens for people in Ecuador, where that has an impact on climate change. I'd rather, you know, that is my, my I'm trying to offset my carbon. That's what I'm doing with, with, with my dollars, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Because, so when I was thinking about it last week, a couple weeks ago, we talked about polar bears again. And it was a 
a revisit to our episode nine, I think it was. So if you haven't heard that, <laughs> that is a brand new look at polar bears. And I know we talk about climate change and their impacts on the poles. We know that. We know it's it's a big thing, but I keep going, okay, what about the tropics? And I was just in Queensland. It was incredibly hot. I mean, we're suffering from El Nino. It, it was just, it was uh, suffering. It was Florida heat with no air conditioning, right? Like outside, like I know in Florida back in the day, we were always inside, you know, where it was cool, rushed to your car, you'd be drenched in sweat, get in your car, turn on your AC, drive down the road, go home, you have AC again. In Queensland, I mean, they have AC in Queensland, but it just wasn't as much. And it just was, it just felt suffering. And maybe because I've been living in New Zealand for so long. But it got me thinking, that's Queensland. That's semi-tropical. That's not even near the equator, right? It's not. Right. Mm-hmm. Imagine mm-hmm. the peoples, this is like a big concern, the peoples living on the equator that don't have air conditioning in Africa, parts of Asia, you know, South America or Central America, where it does get 100, 110, 120 degrees Fahrenheit or close to 40, 45 degrees Celsius, those peoples are going to suffer mightily because they can't cool off. What about the animals? And this, I did a little bit of digging and some of the research is saying these tropical species like tree roos are racing to higher elevations to escape the heat. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about it in the pica. I'm pretty sure. And that was like 200 something episodes ago because I read a book and it was talking about plant species, how plant species are trying to migrate up mountainsides because it's too hot and then they can't germinate and they can't flower. And so they're finding the seeds are finding higher elevation where, where it's their more appropriate temperature. I talked about Joshua tree in California, the, in the Joshua trees in the deserts there. The young plants die off because it's too hot. The older plants have, have established root systems. They have reserves. These heat waves roll through the deserts of, of the United States and all the young Joshua trees are dying out and that they're projecting that Joshua trees will go extinct in California, Nevada. There's only probably a population in Utah that will survive that's in elevation. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, the science is showing that tropical species are shifting their ranges two to two and a half times faster than their other counterparts. The tropical forests are heating up so much that they have to migrate quicker because it's so hot for them. Okay. Say versus... And, it, and I always go back to, to your neck of the woods, Angie, back in the, in the Americas, the moose. We know the moose are going extinct in the lower 48 states because it's too hot. We're your hometown of Michigan. It's too hot for them. They can't cool off. 100 degrees. It was over 86, I think you said. They don't sweat. They go stick their hooves in, in cold water to cool off or they have those dewlaps or whatever. And when northern Canada is experiencing... 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 38, 39 degrees Celsius. Right. The moose can't survive, right? They have nowhere to go. So, you know, just to kind of tie it up, it the just because climate change affects the poles more so, it doesn't mean it's not affecting species around the equator like the tree roos. And right. they're losing their habitats. 
And for those that are surviving, they, they are, the scientists talk about it as like an arms race. They're, they're going up the mountains and I don't know so much tree roots. We don't have data on them because like we can't really get to some of these parts of, of Papua New Guinea, but for some of these species that they're studying, like the pika, other ones, that mountain's only so tall and the temperature will catch up. And then where do they go? Right. They go extinct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just something we need to, to all think about. We need to mitigate carbon. We need to vote green. And there is good news. There always is good news. There's people fighting for them. There's these scientists out there studying this, raising yes. the red flags. Yes. I uh, secured a really awesome interview about tree kangaroos that should be yeah. dropping uh, within a few weeks. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm very excited about that. Well, prepping for uh, tree kangaroos, of course, I have my husband and we're always talking about these things. And, and he's like, well, I know a gal. So he's awesome. Yeah. He hooked me up. Uh, and so, yeah, and we're going to learn a lot more about what uh, the tree conservationists are doing to help save them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, it's a good spot for a break. ING, I did find the largest kangaroo in history. I don't know if I brought this up before. <laughs> I, uh, but I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about the wombat. God, that that was the size of a tank. Oh God, I could only imagine what that that looked like walking around. But I did find the largest kangaroo. So we'll talk about that after the break. And t- I just always love marsupial el- evolution and and then get into what really makes a tree kangaroo a kangaroo. So stay tuned for that. All right, welcome back. Evolution of marsupials. I we just uh, I just we had quokkas last week. Love them. Saw them in, uh, in Queensland at the zoo. I Australia know your zoo. photos. I was so stoked I when I got those. I know. I, I want to go see them over in Perth. Uh, but again, these are mammals. Marsupials are mammals. You know, thousands of species, plenty to cover for us. The marsupials, specifically around 334 species, maybe more being added. 70% live in Australia and then New Guinea and islands like that. The other 30% of marsupials live in South America. So I, some point this year, we'll cover one there. Uh, yeah, 13 that's species, mm-hmm. Yeah, 13 species in Central America and then only one species in North America. Eh, the Virginia possum. Hold <laughs> episode, on, let's, what? I was going to say, do you have the episode? Okay. Well, episode 169. Yeah, I had it. I had it. So yes, yeah, marsupials are awesome. Possums are the best. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Eat I saw ticks in your backyard. Don't don't get rid of them. They are very helpful to your local yeah. environment. Yeah, I saw one uh, creeping along the fence in California when I was there in September last year. So, uh, tree roos specifically, the order is Diprotendia, and this is the largest order of marsupials, 155 species. You have your wombats in there, your koalas, your possums, possums, not opossums. These are Australia <laughs> possums. We That's have right. them here in New Zealand. They are invasive. Oh, they're so cute, though. Uh, wallabies and kangaroos. The family, like Angie said, is Macropodiae. So these, again, are your your, your roos. These are all, and the quokkas are in there, too. Little, mm, little quokkas. Fun. And then the genus Dendrologus. Uh, the 14 species, don't you have to go through all the scientific names. We'll be here all day, but... The Bennets, I talked about, the Dorlas, the Goodfellows, the Grizzled, the Golden Mantle Tree Kangaroo, that's the one they just, just found. And then you had some others, right? 
Yes, I love the tin kyle, also known as Scott's tree kangaroo. It's beautiful. It's much it has it's much blacker in color. Uh really pretty uh, tree kangaroo. And then interestingly enough, the one that you mentioned, the Wandoe wheat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, hold on. Wan the Wandi Woe. Woe? Yeah. The Wandi Woe, I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh the Wandi Road tree kangaroo uh it's critically endangered. It was thought to be extinct until it was rediscovered in 2018. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just some beautiful. And, I, you know, the Godfellows, you mentioned, that's just a really a pretty tree kangaroo as well. Looks a lot like the Matchies. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're such a fun, fun, cool species. I just didn't know there were so many of them. And yeah. as you mentioned, there, I mean, some... That one we thought was extinct, right? And um, there, it turns mm-hmm, out it's, mm-hmm. that's some good news, some good conservation mm-hmm. news. But it, it, it just goes to show that there's uh, a lot of data deficient, as you mentioned earlier, with the IUCN because of where they live. And uh, But gosh, I, I, I want to know more about them. I want people to be able to study them in the wild. I was reading from different researchers. They were like, spotting one in, in the wild is like the holy grail because they're high in trees and they are... Mm-hmm. Uh, very elusive, right? Very, and so it's very mm-hmm. rare to spot them in the wild. But um, the feeling is 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 pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, what I love uh, about the evolution of marsupials is how they started in North America, migrated to South America, and then lived in Antarctica 55 million years ago, 60 million years ago, you know, after the Earth was recovering from the asteroid or whatever, the went into the Yucatan Peninsula, the fifth mass extinction. Then they went into Australia. And then that was when Australia, around this time, 50, 55 million years ago, started moving north, right? Zealandia, that was where I'm living now. That was part of that. And most of the marsupials got isolated there where the other ones in the Americas uh, have evolved but marsupials go back to the earliest mammals, you know, 210 million years ago, roughly shrew-like animals living next to dinosaurs, but suppressed uh, earliest mammals. And then about 125 million years ago is when marsupials split from our an- early mammal ancestors. And then they went on this Antarctica, Australian onboard landmass where they were you know, migrating across. And then once, you know, Australia broke off and started migrating north, the, you know, the continent, and they got isolated and became all these rich, abundant species that we see today in Australia. And then about 35 million years ago is when Antarctica started to freeze over. So whatever animals were stuck down there went extinct. I can only imagine the fossils there, but (laughs) you can't, I don't know anybody that's looking for fossils in Antarctica. There might be somebody, but not many people live on Antarctica scientists. What we know about tree roots specifically, about 35 million years ago, you had this period of drying. And, and so Australia, New Guinea linked, and there was some gene flow, right? Of these animals that, that lived there. They think rock wallabies are kind of like the closer for tree roots. And then they went to the trees about six, seven million years ago. And they were kind of surviving up in these trees. And I really want, maybe the rock wallaby would be a good one we can do. I know there's some some really critically endangered species there. 
it was about two to three million years ago where we, these these species of tree kangaroos emerged. So they're older, you know, definitely like you said, New Guinea. I don't know. Whenever I think of like these movies of King Kong or you know these remote places on <laughs> yeah. Earth where they they go find these incredible animals, that's kind of how I see uh, New Guinea. So I really hope to get up there here in a few months. But yeah, so old species, and that's about what we know. You know, about two million years old, maybe three million years old of all these tree kangaroos. Wow, and that's just, I mean, it just gets back to, as we were talking about earlier, that Papua New Guinea is just this mega diversity nation with ancient species. It's just, it's just incredible. But they're still very relevant today and important to conserve, right? Yeah. Well, before we get to some fun facts, I did want to talk about the giant kangaroo or the giant short-faced kangaroo called the Goliath. Uh, how tall? Hmm. It's not, it's, it's not the giant rhino. So. Uh, no, no. But I think of like the giant sloth bear that was uh, uh, here in Florida locally uh, many, many years oh, ago. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, tall, uh, taller than you standing up. Yes, yes. A little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say eight feet. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, 8.2 feet tall. Thank weighed you. Weighed about 530 pounds. It wow, was the, okay, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it lived in the Pleistocene. So, you know, two million years ago, a million years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, large, very large uh, kangaroo. Where today the red kangaroos, not quite six feet tall males. You know, they're big, but not eight feet tall giants with the giant wombats the size of tanks that used to live and the giant crocs that were like 30 40 feet long oh good old somebody needs to make that movie they need to make that movie (laughs) i know i know i know i would pay to see Uh, it on the big screen that's for sure i know i know oh all these crazy species that lived so long ago Uh, tree roofs let's talk about life cycle up to 20 years, that's pretty common for a lot of these species. Oldest under human care, 27 years. Definitely not the fastest animal on the ground. They're not meant to be fast. They're tree roos. They live up in the trees. I saw hopping around like five kilometers an hour. So not very, they don't have a very clean gait. I mean, you watch them at the zoo, right? When they move around, it's just, they're, they're, they're supposed to live in the trees. Yeah, they amble on the ground. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I almost always see them up in the trees. I mean, it's very, yeah. very rare to see them yeah. on the ground. Yeah, like a sloth. <laughs> I also remember the sloth is the little I'll tree. I'll have to can... ask the zoopeepers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do, uh, do they come down to go to the bathroom or not? That's a yeah, good, that's a yeah. good uh, husbandry question. I don't know. Oh, God, I should probably re-release that episode. Sloths are so crazy. It's so fun. This was something I, I didn't know. Tree kangaroos are the only kangaroos that can walk on their hind feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, yeah. yeah, they have huge ad- adaptations for climbing in the trees. Right? You look at their, their, their feet. I mean, those claws are pretty intense. They'd have to be. Yeah, Chris, the uh, tree kangaroos have really powerful forelimbs. Uh, and then, of course, their hind limbs also help them be very agile climbers. And their feet, as you mentioned, are very, very well adapted for gripping onto branches and tree trunks and these long, curved claws. I mean, their claws are no joke, uh, but they, of course, help provide traction and in digging into the trees. And what's really interesting, too, with tree kangaroos is they have this specialized ankle joint that allows for both, like you said, forward and backward movement. 
And so that is going to help them when they're climbing from tree to tree and leaping between branches. Mm -hmm. So they do go from branch to branch and, um, and, uh, Obviously not probably as graceful as a monkey or maybe a squirrel that we're used to looking at here in North America, but they, they can jump from branch to branch. It's just not uh, as, as graceful, but these, uh, this uh, special ankle or tarsal joint helps allow for, uh, allow for them to, to move in between the trees. And what I learned too, Chris, when I was uh, studying for this is that the Matchy's tree kangaroo is actually the best vertical climber mm-hmm. and has more strength for doing this than a lot of the other species of tree kangaroos so they are when we're when we think of tree kangaroos climbing and strong the matches is just like the number one uh and then of course their tail is long right and it's a prehensile mm-hmm. tail so they can mm-hmm. for for the most part it doesn't wrap around several times but they can help use it to balance uh when they're moving through the trees uh and they're basically their tail is about the same length of their body, more or less. Mm-hmm. And so it really helps to like counterbalance them when they land and when they are going up and down. And although they're no kangaroo as far as their jumping abilities, uh, when it's necessary, they can jump like down to like another tree branch um, as much as like 18 meters, 30 feet oh, wow. without, in- without injury. So, and that's where then their landing with those ankles helps them and all that. So while we don't think of tree kangaroos as jumpers, like their ground dwelling cousin uh, in Australia, they, they can, yeah, they can jump, if you will. Uh, I also love too, as far as some of their arboreal adaptations hmm. is their camouflage. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the different photos of some of the species of tree kangaroos that uh, Chris and I mentioned, they have different coloring from browns to grays to um, uh, to almost like black in color. And a lot of that depends on what region they live in and what trees they need to blend in and how they need to camouflage into, uh, into the area where they live high up in the trees. So I think that's really a cool adaptation. So depending on the trees where they live and things like that, uh, they can really, really blend in, which once again, make sighting them in the wild such a rare, awesome phenomenon and a great treat if you are a researcher or um, a, a local there. So I also mentioned, too, that they have this thick fur, especially I'm most familiar with the Matchies tree kangaroo because I get to get up close and personal, if you will, uh, with them at the zoo. But uh, they have this basically water protection and not only the Matchies tree kangaroo, but but several of the other species of tree kangaroos um, have this thick fur that grows in the opposite direction on their neck and back area. It creates almost like a whirl in their hair and their fur. And the thickness of their fur in general and the whirl nature of the pattern of their coat hairs helps them shed water easily uh, when it is raining where they live. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty cool uh, little adaptation to help uh, stay stay dry when you're up in the mountainous cloud forest. Some some of them live in what uh, what is con- considered a cloud forest, which I've been blessed enough to go be in, uh, go up into the cloud forest of Costa Rica, which is pretty beautiful. Uh, 
uh, Monteverde. I spent some time there, but uh, it's where you really, you're like, it's like raining, but you're like actually in the cloud. It's pretty cool. Uh, So having this thick fur really can help with that. Um, And then I think it's really cute. If you've ever seen a tree kangaroo go down a tree, they typically back down trees. So that's Mm -hmm. different than their North American cousin, the, the possum here in Florida. They the possums can go down head first, but uh, tree kangaroos will uh, basically shimmy shimmy down trees in the reverse direction uh, as far. Up. But tree kangaroos will kind of shimmy down with their bum first, uh, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. Is, makes them even more darling as they move around. But oftentimes they'll make the decision of whether or not they should leap to the ground, and they will also often descend that way by just jumping down to the ground. Once again, depending on how many meters up it is um, and if that's a safe move for them uh, or not. So yeah, they're just, uh, they're just super, I mean, they're very agile in the trees. They look very graceful. Mm -hmm. uh, And, but on the ground, yes, they have this kind of hobbling gait. Uh, It's not super beautiful, but uh, it's, they're so darn cute. They can get away with it. And from what the studies have shown in general, uh, tree kangaroos, of course, this is varies from species to species. But on average, they do spend a lot of time sleeping up to 60% of their day where they curl up in whatever tree they happen to be in and just rest. Yeah. So I, uh, when I visit the zoo a lot, I, I usually go in the afternoons. And so it tends to be around feeding time. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Adelaide and her joeys are usually pretty active, uh, which, is no, which is always nice to see them. But uh, yes, I, I highly recommend if you uh, have a, an accredited local zoo in your, um, in your neighborhood to go check out and see if they have tree kangaroos. There's, there's not a lot at the zoos. Uh, once again, because their numbers are, are so low in the wild, they're also not very high um, under human care as well. But man, if you, if you get so lucky to see one, you will definitely fall in love the way that I have. Well, it's interesting too. I talked about like they they the only kangaroo that can walk on their hind feet. I mean, most mm-hmm. other kangaroos hop, hop, right. hop, hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, to see that the the only kangaroo that can walk, even though it's not graceful, it's, still, yeah, it's like an ambling gait. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, fine. Yeah yeah yeah. 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 It's yeah. cute. So uh, again, a, an herbivore mainly eat tree leaves, uh, things like that. They kind of continually graze on that. But they do eat, I mean, there's some fruit. Uh, they'll eat some insects, maybe little birds or bird eggs. I read tree sap, bark, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. So they, they do have a very diet. Insects again, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, thinking about it being, as you said, disperser of seeds. So the fruits and all that stuff, and the flowers, mm-hmm. very important. Because again, a tropical forest or rainforest needs that manure the seeds and deposit the seeds spreads them out and they play a critical critical role i mean just critical role uh, yeah i mean yeah. And, when, and here here's the deal chris in in the wild of the different species we probably don't know exactly what they eat right yeah. we we, we don't necessarily doesn't necessarily know or we we have some ideas of course the trees that they're hanging yeah. out and and stuff but as far as how much seeds they're dispersing and and what trees uh, and fruits would be lost uh, if their populations were completely gone, and how that could yeah. how that could influence or ne- how that could influence and change negatively change the whole yeah. landscape for the forest that they live in. 
Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's just, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, uh, and in general too, when they're not sleeping, the tree kangaroo does eat sporadically throughout the day. Uh, usually about for 15, 20 minutes and then every, uh, then it'll rest for a little bit and then eat again. Uh, so kind of eat, rest and repeat. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. That sounds like my kind of, my kind of life. Yeah. 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 Now, when it comes to what what preys on them, humans are the the main, but they do have birds of prey, snakes uh, that can get them. I imagine maybe some stuff in Australia. I don't know if quals can get to them or not, but there are, they, they do have some predators. So not the easiest life. But what other behaviors did, did you come across with them? Yeah, and so as far as their social behavior, tree kangaroos in general are not social. So. Uh, as far as my understanding is that the tree kangaroos in general of the species live alone. Um, and that also includes the matchies. Uh, they're solitary except for when they breed. And so at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, they have a male and a female that are a breeding pair based on um, the species survival plan of the um, AZA accredited zoos. But they will only come, they will only live together and be housed together. Uh, for breeding purposes, uh, once they've bred, they will be separated, and that's and that's how they like it. They uh, they mm-hmm. their natural history. They don't they don't want to be together unless it is um, during uh, when they're breeding. So uh, it's thought that with the um, the matches in the wild, uh, the territory size of the female is about four to five acres, uh, while a male can claim more than double that, up to eleven acres. So, I mean, that's when you think of a forested area that needs to be protected for just one tree kangaroo, that's 11 acres. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a fairly large chunk. But when we talk about the tree kangaroo as an indicator and an umbrella species is, okay, I want to save this, yeah, this plot of land uh, that's a hundred acres. I mean, it could possibly house eight or nine males right so mm-hmm. and along with that how many trees would it be saving how many smaller mm-hmm. reptiles and birds you know you're the bird guy so it is you know they they really um they're obviously a bold and beautiful and and, and, and intriguing creature uh but they can also potentially help save lots of other species too by just uh, by just for us just by fighting for them so uh and then, of course, during breeding season, with my hundred-acre example, uh, which I don't know what that is in hectares, and that makes me a bad person. So I apologize for <laughs> our non-American listeners. I promise I'll I'll get better at my conversions. Uh, but um, of course, during breeding season, uh, a, a male will need more territory. Just how much? I don't think the research is there on that. Obviously, we want to always overestimate when we're trying to save land for species. Uh, but it, his territory does get bigger. Um, and as far as vocalizations go, I actually asked John because the literature, there wasn't a ton of literature on tree kangaroo vocalizations. Uh, but he said not very vocal at all. Uh, unlike the lemurs, <laughs> you go to the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, or the gibbons always singing, but tree kangaroos will make runs, uh, hissing noises, sometimes a little bit of growling, chattering. Once again, that's going to be more related to one another. And since they're not a super social animal, they don't really need to vocally communicate that often, of course. Uh, and so, yeah, in general, not not a super vocal animal. So if a tree kangaroo is vocalizing, 
probably mean it really it means something right it's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. it's trying to express uh something to either the other tree kangaroo or to the the human caretaker um but it is known too that there's definitely a lot of probably chemical communication that happens between male and female uh especially during breeding season right so they can find each other and so the male can know which if the female is receptive or in estrus so there's a good chance that they're using their their smell uh a lot more than we fully understand uh, just because the species hasn't been as well studied as uh, several others now being uh, along the equator so what's the, the breeding breeding season how does that impact them Ah, great question, Chris. As as far as the matchies tree kangaroo, uh, they are polyesterous, so they do have multiple estrous cycles within a year, but there is no defined breeding season. And that probably does have something to do with being right along the equator, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, once again, it, there's an understudied species as far as the reproductive health and things like that, just because of where they live. Uh, however, there I, I was able to find several, uh, several good high quality papers from uh, research being behavioral and reproductive research being done um, in zoos when they're housed under human care. So uh, that's really helpful to know the, that information when researchers and conservationists are trying to uh, say, you know, save the forest that they live in to understand how all this stuff works out. So, um. There, there has been some report of low breeding rates, so low copulation rates beco- between October and March, um, and that's under human care. But once again, it's, it's just hard to relate that back to the wild. But what we do know about Matchy's tree kangaroos and the reproduction, and once again, this is going to vary from species to species of tree kangaroo, but with the Matchy's, they will come into estrus uh, when observed under human care um anywhere from 51 to 79 days so mm-hmm. not as much as like horses or humans um but more so than like dogs who are typically mm-hmm. estrus, monoestrous so only one estrus cycle or so per year um so every yeah about every 60 days or so the female will be high estrogen and receptive to a male and uh will be interested in his courtship behaviors and when a female is an estrus and if a male is around uh, that she has interest in, she will descend to the ground and approach the male. And then they will actually make some vocalizations. Now, I couldn't find any videos on this. And so I, uh, all my zookeeper friends, if you have any of this courtship of tree kangaroos on film, let me know. This is so cool. Uh, because what the literature suggests is that uh, the male and female, when they're on the ground approaching each other, uh, and they contact each other and they start uh, tongue clicking and hissing. So they will mm. make some vocalizations. And then, of course, the female will probably swat at the male. Good for her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if she's still interested in him and uh, and he plays his cards right, uh, she will allow him to breed her. So copulation is actually on the ground. So I was curious about that with some with some of our boreal species. Uh, where, you know, where does that occur? But with the tree kangaroo, at least with the uh, matchies, we know that that happens on the ground and, uh, breeding will actually take place for about an hour or so. And, um, when I was talking this over with my husband, yes, that's how big a nerds we are. <laughs> we had to go over my tree kangaroo reproduction notes with him, um, 
uh, late at night when we're bored. But no, no, I had to ask him the question because in the literature, they talk about the Matchy's tree kangaroo and leaving a seminal plug. So if you have the un- underage listeners, this uh, might go in a little bit deeper into physiology because it's actually, Chris, something mm-hmm. that I was super fascinated with. I don't mm-hmm, know if you mm-hmm. and I have ever talked about a, um, a semen plug or plug. Uh, ah, maybe once or twice. We've been paring down the repro talk for the little ones, but yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah. How some species do that. Yeah. To protect sure. their genetics, right? As a male. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what, the, I mean, re, of course, um, evolutionary biologists, uh, they always have to guess when they see some physiology and they don't always have the best answer, but yeah, I mean, basically the semen plug is just a portion of the seminal plaza that's thicker and kind of coagulates. And um, and so, yeah, they think it's probably because a, a female uh, matches tree kangaroo uh, in case she does breed with another male. Uh, that way, uh, the first male will have a more likelihood that he will indeed be the father. And so I just thought it was really interesting. And I did nerd out with John about a semen plug and what, like what chemicals are made, how mm-hmm. is it made and what species do it. Mm-hmm. And, it and it really, it, it's not uncommon. Uh, and uh, my husband was telling me too, that when they are putting male and female together, that is actually something that they may look for as um, from a husbandry perspective uh, to basically know if copulation happened because they may not mm-hmm. copulate of course when yep. um when zookeepers are around so yeah anyways uh, i just thought that was really fascinating and um after a male does breed a female tree kangaroo uh in the ma- in the matchy's tree kangaroo gestation is anywhere from about 39 to 45 days and what's so cool chris is this is the longest gestation period for any marsupial yeah, Short, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, longer than our um, our ground dwelling kangaroos in Australia or our um, opossums here in North America. So yeah, pretty cool. And um, when a female is about to give birth, she'll typically uh, isolate herself uh, if she is housed with another male at the time or something. And her birth position is she sits on the base of the tail, her tail with her tail between her legs. So that's an interesting birth position that they've recorded uh, in the literature. And yeah, after about two minutes, a little tiny itsy bitsy Joey, uh, Mm -hmm. less than one inch is born uh, vaginally, of course. And then I I used to always love to talk about this fact uh, in my uh, kangaroo talk that I would give as a zookeeper for the red, uh, the red kangaroos, because it's just so fascinating. Uh, I mean, one inch. So that's what the size of a jelly bean, if you will. Yeah, tiny. Yep. Tiny, underdeveloped. I don't even. It has like little arm buds, and its eyes are closed, and it basically craw- uh, crawls from the birth canal of the female. A very long journey if you're only an inch long, up and then down and into the pouch of Mama Machi's tree kangaroo. And when they're doing this, this little one-inch jelly bean-sized baby. They're blind. They're hairless. Once again, they're pink. I mean, they just must use scent cues to just figure out how to do that. And it's just so fascinating to me as a physiologist that the instinct and the cues to do that. I mean, we're all born with instincts, of course. But uh, this is like the little Joey jelly bean is so underdeveloped, right? It's just mm-hmm. fascinating. Uh, and once a Joey gets uh, gets into the mother's pouch, 
for the tree kangaroo, uh, it will attach to one of her four, um, one of her four nipples, and then it'll stay there for a long time. Um, in fact, this is definitely different than some of the other marsupials we've talked about, Chris, because a joey tree kangaroo or the matchies, for example, will be about 250 days old before it even pops its little head out. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun whenever this happens at the zoo because, once again, they'll put the male and female, they'll know when the female's in estrus, they'll put male and female together, they may or may not find a plug, uh, and then it's like this waiting game. But it's not just like the gestation of like 40 days. It's up to like 250 plus before they may or may not see a little head pop out of that pouch. And it's always so cool. I'll hear it on John's radio when I'm visiting or something. They'll be like, tree kangaroo, Joey sighting, tree kangaroo, Joey. Like, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. But they almost had to prove it like for the curator. Like, no, we need to see a picture. Are you seeing things? Because you want to see it. Or, <laughs> so, uh-huh, But it's uh-huh. a really, I mean, this is a this is a, an endangered species, right? Uh, the Every birth of Matchy's tree kangaroo um, uh, within the SSB of the North American zoos is extremely, extremely important. Uh, for their pop- population and so it's just it's but they the joey stays in the pouch for a long time and it probably won't even like think about leaving the pot pouch even for a hot second until it's about 300 days old that's it, almost a year yeah it's long it's really long for them yep that's almost a year and so what that's why as a for all my fellow tree kangaroo keepers out there it, it is a big deal it's much different than I think when you're a kangaroo keeper because it's um they just they just they sh- they present the joeys present themselves much sooner. So uh, very very uh, hidden mysterious little joeys hang out in those pot- pouches at least for about ten months maybe hiding themselves and then uh, interestingly enough uh, the average weaning age is about twelve months for a matchy's tree kangaroo. So these are really good moms. And they're not going to breed every year, right? Because that's a lot of energy to put into one joey. And there's yep. only one, right? So the wean joey uh, typically really in the wild wouldn't leave its mother uh, until it's about 18 months old. So, I mean, female match these tree kangaroos. And I would all, I would assume other species of tree kangaroos uh, – I mean, they really nurse their young for a long, long period of time. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about generation intervals and like helping this population or all these populations of tree kangaroos rebound, it's it's not going to be super quick because of that. And what's super fascinating is tree kangaroos typically on average uh, for the different species don't reach their sexual maturity until they're like at least two years old. And uh, they may, depending on what species they are, they they may be reproductively active till they're about ten or twelve. So that's not a lot of offspring to pass your genetics off to. Um, and mm. it's a t- if you're if you're for any nursing mother out there knows that that's a lot of energy to put into yeah. a an offspring. So uh, so yeah, it's just um, so when it happens at the zoo. Um, every other year or so it, it is it's like a miracle it's it's really fun so and unfortunately for social media they had uh they there was uh, a joey that was um i think probably about a year and a half and so it um moved on to another home 
where it can help uh, help pass on its genetics when it gets older. So no, no Joey's or teenage Joey's right now at the Santa Fe uh, College Teaching Zoo. But uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated on social media when there is another one. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And I mean, like when you go down the list, it doesn't look good. It just... No, it doesn't. It doesn't. The Bennett's, yeah, the Bennett's is near threatened. The Dingslow, vulnerable. Dorla's near threatened. Goodfellows, vulnerable. Grizzled Tree is least concerned. Lumholtz is least concerned. Then the Matchkeys, endangered. Yeah, the Golden Mantle. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of them as um, endangered. endangered. Yeah, it's it's yeah there are. The Golden Mantle is critically endangered. About five hundred left. So all hurting and uh, yeah, the Scots tree kangaroo, the really pretty black one that I mentioned, yeah, yeah. critically endangered, less than maybe 250. Yeah. So yeah. and the Matchies so, tree kangaroo, I mean, once again, uh, I mean, population estimates vary, uh, mm -hmm. but in general, there's thought to be about 2,500 yeah. and endangered. Most literature says so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to help a tree roo. Do you have your water bottles? Do you have your coffee cups, reusables? That's It's a habit for me now. I hope most people today in 2024 has reusable water bottles. You know, it's one way to help climate change. We talked about carbon credits or what I'm doing as far as travel. There's, there's different things we can do. Just take these and make them habits. Shut your water off. All of that that can help the planet. But who's fighting for tree roos? I mean, which organizations do you highlight today? Yeah, so I want to give a big shout out to the Tree Kangaroo Conservation Program, TKCP. Uh, it's based out of Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle, Washington, and they focus their conservation efforts for tree kangaroos in Papua New Guinea. Uh, and they work with local communities to promote conservation awareness, conduct research, and of course, implement habit protection initiatives. And excitingly enough, I'm going to talk to um, the woman that uh, is the lead of this program. So uh, we'll get more information. So we'll have to look forward to the episode dropping in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm very, very excited uh, to learn more because I have a lot of questions that I hope to get answered. And, uh, and also to know that there is a good team of conservationists uh, fighting for them is very helpful. So if you want to learn more about the Tree Kangaroo Conservation Program, you can follow them at the Tree Kangaroo Conservation Program on Facebook. They have a lovely Facebook page. And you can also learn more about this organization at www.zoo.org slash TKCP. So uh, to all of our listeners out in Seattle, uh, make, also I would highly recommend uh, supporting the Woodland Park Zoo. It's a great, great zoo uh, that does is doing amazing conservation work. And this is just one of the examples of that. So the other group I want to give a shout out to uh, is inter more international and over in uh, Papua New Guinea, and that is the Tenkyle Conservation Alliance. So the Tenkyle or the Scots tree kangaroo that I mentioned, there was a couple hundred left, that really pretty blackish one. Um, the Tenkyle Conservation Alliance is ded dedicated to the conservation of the critically endangered Tenkyle tree kangaroo or Scots tree kangaroo and other threatened species in Papua New Guinea. So the TCA, Tenkyle Conservation Alliance, works with local communities to establish conservation areas, conduct research, and once again, figure out how to sustainably manage the land that they share with these species. So you can find more about their organization um, at www.tenkyle.com. That's T-E-N-K. 
K-I-L-E dot com. And of course, we'll post all this on our show notes as well. So there are there are and there's a couple great organizations in Australia also fighting for like um, is it the the Goodfellows and a couple others. So it was um, it it was it was hopeful for me to know that uh, there are several several groups um, internationally and abroad um, and then even here in the U.S. that uh, understand how how serious this 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 fight is to save the tree kangaroo and all the different species in the land that they live on. So. Um, so yeah, and of course, a great way to show them support is by following them on social media, sharing their information, liking their information, just just getting the word out, right? Um, mm-hmm. This may yep. be the first Education. time you've heard of a tree kangaroo, yeah. and trust me, Chris and I have been doing this for a long time, and there were still several facts that I learned uh, this week that blew my mind, right? Like I didn't mm-hmm. know that, mm-hmm. so I had no idea there were that many species. I didn't know that that they were they were that endangered, unfortunately. So, uh, so yeah, we got to get the word out there and that's what our community on this podcast does a great job of doing. So I want to thank you. Thank all of our listeners for doing that for sure. Yeah. If you're listening to this point, thank you. I mean, just thank you. Thank you. For <laughs> we love you. Much. Yeah. No, thank <laughs> you. So it's, do tree kangaroos. Yeah. 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 You're a conservation hero and we really appreciate it. Uh, working hard. Angie and I've got a slate of interviews, uh, scheduled. So start looking for those. And again, for your conservation, if you want to make that a career, reach out to Angie and I, allcreaturespod at gmail.com. Like I said, Abigail and I had a great discussion trying to, to help her in her career. But uh, we're here for you and we will do everything we can to keep growing this community. So thank you for listening and stay tuned. We got another great species coming your way. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.